0: Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. My name is Pastor Ben, and if you're new here, I welcome you in the name of Christ and welcome you to open your Bible and go through the Scripture with us. And this morning we are in 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to particularly be looking in verses 10 and 11. In 1885, at Princeton College, there, was, there were two college students who met on a daily basis to pray. Robert Wilder and Grace Wilder, they were brother and sister, met almost every night throughout the first semester and second semester of their school year to pray that God would send missionaries to the foreign field to give the gospel so people could be saved. They had been able to experience India and they had seen the need for the gospel there and their heart was burdened and they didn't know what to do and so they decided to pray. Well, throughout that year, they started to get more people to pray with them, and they ended up having five more Princeton students pray with them. In 1886, of that spring, they met D.L. Moody, and they decided that they were going to have a Bible conference in Massachusetts at Mount Hermon School that summer, and they were going to gather with students across the country, and they were going to pray... They were going to hear preaching about the need to give the gospel to lost souls. So they did that. In July 6, 1886 was the first night that they did that. 251 college students gathered from 89 different colleges across the United States. They heard preaching. They prayed. From that... Students went back to colleges. They started their own prayer meetings. They started studying God's word and his heart for the nations. And that's called the student volunteer movement. And as a result of those students praying in that way, many missionaries went out to the foreign field. Many other individuals who weren't able to go filled churches with that passion to see people come to Christ. And listen to this. The next 40 years, from 1886 to 1920s, 20,000 long-term missionaries went out on the field. 20,000. How did that start? Where did that begin? It began with a 19-year-old college student named Robert Wilder who had a heart for the nations. And I wonder. I wonder if that could happen here in America again. Could we have that type of passion for the glory of God and love for the souls of people? Could that happen in Simi Valley? Could that happen in this church? What's the answer, you think? Can it? Yes. God's grace is still at work. Where would it come from? And what I'd like to do for us as a church this morning, really from this text of Scripture is call for us as a church to support the youth of this next generation, to pray for them, to, to encourage them, to give them opportunities to minister, to, to invest in them. And really, I really want to speak to those who would consider themselves youthful, maybe teens or 20-somethings or 30-somethings, and really speak to you and encourage you to consider how you can invest your life in the gospel ministry of the local church. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 16, 10 through 11, and the title of the sermon is Helping the Next Generation Minister for Christ. And again, like I said, my goal is to speak to two groups of people, for all of us as a church, and then particularly for those who would be considered young. In this passage, we have Paul the Apostle, Speaking of a young man that he put time into, that he mentored, and he also speaks to the church and how they should treat him. So I want to really put before us really the potential that God has in these young people. And if you're a child in this room or a teenager, really no matter who you are, just really understanding the potential that's in your life to be used for things that last forever. And what are those things that last forever? Well, God's eternal, so he has always been, always will be. But those things on earth that will last forever are souls. Do You realize that major spiritual movements have been led by young believers. Joseph was age 17 when he stood up for the Lord and was persecuted by his brothers. Daniel was a youth when he determined in his heart that he would not defile himself, but rather he would serve the Lord, and God used him to influence nations. David, in the Old Testament, was a youth when he went up against God's enemy, Goliath. When everyone else cowered, he stood up, and he served the Lord in that way. Mary was probably around the age of 13 or 14 when she accepted the role of being the mother of the Son of God. Many of the disciples were in their 20s. Some people think that some of them could have been in their teens when they followed Christ. Charles Spurgeon was 16 years old when he preached his first sermon. John Calvin was 26 years old when he wrote his Institute's of the Christian religion, which is considered the single most influential book on theology in church history, 26 years old. Billy Graham started preaching when he was 21 years old. And honestly, I could go on and on with examples of God using young people to further the gospel. And so for us as a church, I really want to kind of address this in two different ways. First, church Let's, let's support the youth in the gospel ministry and consider what that looks like for us. And then for you, youth, to get your hands dirty in the work of the Lord. Labor in gospel ministry. Our text, again, in First Corinthians 16, was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in Ephesus. That was around 54 AD. I made a little... Um, timeline here. I don't know if you can even see that. So you might have to take a picture of it and zoom in or something. I'm not certain. But I think it can be helpful for us to think about some of these dates. And I'm going to say dates. I'm going to say ages. And, and I have studied this to kind of come to my own conclusion. There are some disagreements on the exact dates on some of this up here. But just generally, so we can follow this, I want us to think through this. This letter Paul wrote, he wrote when he was around the age of 50 maybe 47, 48, 49, 50, around that age. Timothy was with Paul in Ephesus during this time, and he was sent out of Ephesus to go to Corinth here. Timothy would have been in his mid-20s, probably around 24 or 25 years of age. And so that kind of sets up the context here for what Paul is going to say about Timothy to the church. So would you look in verse number eight? We'll start in verse eight, and then we'll read down through Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 16, the apostle wrote under the inspiration of scripture, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effectual work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Again, Paul wrote this around 54 AD. Three or four years before that, he went to Corinth, he planted this church, And when he did so, he left, and Apollos came and he pastored for a while. But in that in that three to four years, between the time he planted the church and he wrote this letter of First Corinthians, there were a lot of problems that came up in the church. The first part of 1 Corinthians, he basically writes about some of these problems. There was pride, there was disunity, there was a man in the church who was openly sinning and they refused to remove him from membership. The second part of 1 Corinthians deal, dealt with questions that they had. They had questions about marriage and singleness, me offered to idols, submission in the local church, the role of women, the order of worship, tongues, sign gifts, financial giving. I mean, he hit every topic that you could, even music, he hit music too, every controversial topic you could hit, he hit. And then what he's going to have happen is after this letter gets to them, Timothy's going to come around the back end, and Timothy's going to reinforce this. Can you just feel the weight of responsibility right now for Timothy? As he's supposed to come to this church, it's like a hornet's nest. He's going to walk into it and say, okay, you received the letter. Let me go over a couple of things that Paul wrote to you about. In fact, you can see that in verse 10. Notice he says, When Timothy comes. So they're going to receive the letter. They're going to read the letter. Someone's going to teach about the letter. And then Timothy is going to come and reinforce the letter. In fact, if you could do this, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I just want you to see where Paul speaks about Timothy coming and doing this ministry. 1 Corinthians 4. And look down in verse number 17. You can see that Paul speaks about Timothy coming. He says in verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. Then notice verse 18. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, okay? And you can go back to chapter 16. My point of bringing that up is that this is what Timothy is going to contend with when he goes there. But Paul... Put him in this place of responsibility. Timothy went there, not uh, by himself. Actually, the scripture says in Acts. Let's see here where are we at. Acts chapter nineteen, verse twenty-two. The scripture says that he went there with a man named uh, Aristus. Erastus, sorry, Erastus. Acts nineteen twenty-two says, in having sent into Macedonia, two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. This man was probably a businessman. The scripture says that he was some type of financial treasurer in Corinth. And so we would imagine that this man was probably older than, than Timothy if he had these kind of responsibilities. He would have gone with Timothy and We don't know if he preached or not, but likely he didn't. He was a businessman going with him, supporting Timothy on his way. Remember, Timothy's a young man at this time. Let's back up and ask this question. Why do you think Paul would have sent someone else to go with Timothy? Why didn't Timothy go on his own? Think about that. Actually, when you look through the Scripture and you see these men and you see individuals going out with the gospel, what you see is they're going out in pairs. They're going out in teams. So here Timothy has a team that Paul's sending him with. Jesus and and, and Mark chapter 6 sent the disciples out two by two. Actually, I think it's biblical. It's it's best to do ministry in teams. And that's one reason why the the scripture has elders, plural. You have deacons, plural. There there should be be no loner um, ministry workers out there where you're all by yourself. It should be some type of team. I'm thankful for how God has provided for us in that way. I look at our elders, and one of the things, when I came to Lighthouse and I looked at the men of the elder team, the elder board, I, I realized these are men that I can trust my, and entrust my life with. I can trust them. I, I look at our, our deacons and The Lord has allowed us to form a team of deacons, and they're coming together as a team. You have the music team. You have the AV team. Even the the children's ministry, nursery ministry, all those. Rachel's trying to form a team there. You have uh, Joel, who's forming a youth team. They have uh, two couples that are down there. Does does that make sense? So We want to do ministry as, as teams in a team. I think that having a team provides accountability. I mean, for them, it... Some of it was safety, too. You're walking down a Roman road. Encouragement. But also, even for Timothy, this this older man could give Timothy wisdom that he needed, even as he went to do something that was a very difficult task. So, So notice how Paul commanded the church in verse number 10 to support this young man. Verse number 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. And that word see there as a command. It means to discern. It means to, to view, to have a perce- perception of something. So it's here having a perception, a view of Timothy that is an accurate view. And what's the view that they are supposed to have of Timothy? It's in verse number 10, for he is doing the work of the Lord. And I think this is somewhat of a rebuke probably to... To many of us, as we look at different generations, and you can sometimes be cynical, right? We can say, what's wrong with that generation? And I think what he's doing here is he's saying, like, look at Timothy's work, look at his labor for the Lord. Don't have this cynical view of that generation. But notice he says, put him at ease. Probably a better translation of that is, do not cause him to fear. It's the idea that you treat him in a way that would not cause him to be afraid of ministering to you. Encourage him, if you want to say it positively. Notice verse 11. So let no one despise him. So don't reject him. On the other side, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. To despise him is to belittle him, to kind of count his ministry as maybe less valuable than someone else's ministry. Help him is the idea that you support him. Think primarily financially, sending him on his way, give him some money for the road, give him a place to, to live, give him food to eat. And what Paul's saying here, he's saying, he, my guy's coming, like receive his ministry, honor him. And I think what we see here is this pattern that Paul passed on to Timothy and to us of one man teaching another man who teaches another man, or a woman teaching another woman who teaches another woman. It's, it's what the scripture talks about, what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. He says, Timothy, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So, so we, we need to notice this. It starts inside with the Holy Spirit, right? Him strengthening us. And then the result of that, though, coming out of that, is what you have heard from me, That's from Paul. In the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Also, you see this duplication of yourself in ministry. And I think what you see here is interesting. You see that the grace of God is being poured into Timothy, and Timothy is to pour the grace of God into someone else. Paul is saying, I'm discipling you, Timothy. You have been discipled, and Timothy, you need to disciple other people. You, you have had truth passed on to you, and you need to pass on truth to other people. And I think what you see here is you see both. You see receiving and you see, you see giving. You see receiving truth, receiving grace, and giving grace, giving truth. If you just take in, you're going to be a stagnant pond. If you just pour out, you're going to be empty. So that's why you need both. You need a person in your life or are people in your life who are encouraging you, who are praying for you, who are discipling you. And you need to be doing that in other people's life. I was When I was growing up, I would go to this pond that was a stale, stagnant pond. And as a boy, you know, that's like a dream right there, right? And you see this little film on top, and little frogs jumping around. You throw things in the pond. There's logs floating. There's some tires floating in there. It was it was nasty, right? And that's because this water would come down to this pond area and it would just stay there. And I think that can happen in a local church like that. In your soul, you can receive good things like water is a good thing, right? The grace of God's a good thing. But if it just stays there, your spiritual life can be stagnant. And so I'm so thankful that you're here listening to God's word. But can I ask you a question? Who is it that you're pouring truth into? And so this is Paul's example to Timothy. This is the example for the church. And so this is really a call for us as a church to be investing in, in those who are of the next generation. And this doesn't mean that we say, okay, I'm going to quit, I'm going to give up. This means I'm going to include. I'm going to bring people alongside. In fact, if you're involved in a ministry right now, the question I think you should ask yourself is, who do you have with you that you're equipping and training to take over that for you? Maybe not like this year or next year, but who are you duplicating yourself with? Like who is it that you're saying, this person is a person I want to be able to share my wisdom and to encourage and to pray. And I think we should be supporting Youth and gospel ministry. And I think youth, you need to get into gospel ministry. You need to get your hands dirty serving the Lord. It's time, if you want to say on game day, Super Bowl day, it's time to get in the game. Some people have the idea, it's like, well, you know, you're a teenager and you think, oh, I'll serve the Lord when I get older. Or when you're in college, I'll, I'll serve the Lord when I get older. Can I just tell you, if your mindset is "someday I will," that someday will never come for you. Because you're you know you're in college right now, and you're like, oh, I got so many papers, I got so much work. I mean, it's it's overwhelming. Like, I'll serve the Lord when I when I get around to when I get when I at another stage in my life. And then you get a job, and you're like, oh, I'm working fifty hours a week. Like I have no time. Like I'll serve the Lord when I when I get another time. Then you have children, and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I never sleep. Like, I'll serve the Lord when I'm not so tired. And by the way, that doesn't ever end. Anyways, and you're like, and then you're like, okay, when my kids get a little older, and then your kids are going to this and going to that and going to this. and, going, and It's like every night is scheduled for something, and you're going, I have no time for anything. Then you're, then you're a grandparent, and you're like, i got grandkids to deal with, and I'm really tired now. <laughs> like, I'm legitimately tired. And then your life is over, Right? And my point is, some of us think with this mindset of like someday, and we can't be thinking that way. We have to think is, how does God want us to serve today? The scripture says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Today is a day to think, God, how can you use me in the gospel ministry today? Jeremiah had an excuse. The Lord said to him, hey, you're going to be a prophet. He goes, oh, Lord, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. Like, I'm too young for this. And what was the answer the Lord gave back? Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Sometimes people have this mindset that I can't minister because I don't have the experience, or I can't minister because I don't have the wisdom. Or I can't minister because of something else in my life. And what you see here, what God is saying, it's like, well, that's not the basis for ministry anyways. Like, we, we often have a wrong view of the reason I can minister to someone is because of, because of who I am. Well, I have this great experience, or I have these amazing words I can say. And he says basically to, to Jeremiah, like, you're only going to be able to minister for me because I'm going to be the one to send you. I'm the one to give you grace and I'm the one to give you words. Because the reality is you don't have the wisdom and you don't have the strength. That's why God says, I love to use weak people. I love to use foolish people because then the glory of God is exalted because they trust in the Lord and they are empowered to speak his word. So our confidence is not in ourselves; it's in the Lord. And So, so consider, how, how could you Think about yourself. How could you serve the Lord right now? And if you're in college, how could you, maybe there could, could be a Bible study that you start up, or maybe you could get a group of people and, and you pray together. You get you get some missionaries and you pray that God would, would bless these missionaries. Get some countries and pray for those countries and say, God, bring the, the gospel to that. Maybe you get a, a map of California. <laughs> pray for California. The point is, is, is get involved in, the gospel ministry, maybe just look around the city and consider how can I reach people for Christ? And maybe you don't know. You're like, I don't know. Okay, maybe get some people together and just pray. Pray, God, how can we reach people for Christ and be willing to go where God would have you to go? And so church, we need to support youth in gospel ministry and youth, we want you to labor. We want to all labor in gospel ministry. And then next, we just think about this. Let's evaluate, church, let's evaluate the youth, but even just all of us, let's evaluate based not on earthly standards, let's evaluate a person based on their character. As we think about someone in ministry, we look at the character of a person, and, and youth really, the focus of your life really should be on maturing in Christ likeness. And so, really, these two aspects church, evaluate youth based on character, not earthly standards, and youth mature in Christ like character. Look at verse number 10. Paul wrote in verse 10, when Timothy comes, don't cause him to fear. It's my translation. I didn't use the ESV there. Verse 11, he says, so let no one despise him. Now, let's think about this. Why would the church in Corinth, why would they cause him to fear? Why would they despise Timothy? Well, there's a number of reasons. I I think probably the primary reason Uh, primarily it's because they would look at him and judge him based upon standards that are not scriptural standards. And one of those would have been probably his age. So here you have a guy who's coming. He's 24, 25 years old. You have all these issues. And this guy, he is ministering under the leadership of the Apostle Paul. So it's not like he's coming in and saying, hey, I know it all. He's saying, this is what God says. This is what Paul the Apostle has taught you. So I'm just reinforcing that but the, the point is here you have this young buck coming in the church. What are you gonna tell us? How old are you? You can see that his ministry would have been one where it could have been easily challenged. In fact, I know I had you turn there earlier, but go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, because I want you to see this in this passage, 1 Corinthians 4. And think about all the challenges Paul was or Timothy was up against. I mean, Timothy is no Paul the apostle. Timothy is no Apollos. I mean, Paul is not even Apollos, right? And Paul is this eloquent speaker, and you're at Paul, and then, I mean, down here is like Timothy. So you can see that they would have had this view, could have had this view of Timothy that would despise him, reject his ministry. But but notice in 1 Corinthians 4, notice in verses 1 and 2, and verse 2 particularly. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Paul is talking about servants of the Lord. He says, moreover, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? That they be found successful? That they be found faithful is what he says. So, so what I think what the apostle is saying here is, is no matter who you are, no matter where you serve, what matters is faithfulness. Character is what counts. And then notice down in verse 17, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and, what's the next word? Faithful child in the Lord. So so here he's identifying Timothy as one who is a faithful servant. The focus of your life, young person, should be, on becoming more like Christ, and one of those key attributes is faithfulness to the Lord. In fact, turn over to First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. Of course, First Timothy was written by the apostle when the apostle was in prison. He wrote it to Timothy, and Timothy at this time, when he's writing 1 or First Timothy, when Paul was writing First Timothy. Timothy was a full-time pastor in Ephesus. I know we have all these cities and these dates, but so 1 Timothy was written 10 years after 1 Corinthians. So at this time, Paul's in prison. He's about 60 years old. Timothy is a full-time pastor. He's about 35 years old. But it's interesting that, that there continued to be this rejection of Timothy because of his youth. Maybe he looked really young, Uh, in Roman society, one was considered a youth up until the age of 40. So I've passed that, unfortunately. But if you're under the age of 40, you would still be considered a youth in Roman society. And so maybe that's how people viewed him. But notice notice 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul wrote to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So notice Paul doesn't recommend Timothy, you could say pastor Timothy, elder Timothy, he doesn't recommend that Timothy throws his title or his position in the face of people. There are people that might despise him and say, oh, look how young he is. What do you really know? Like, who are you? What authority do you have? And he doesn't come back and say, okay, just punch him in the face with your title. No, what he does, he counsels him. He says, allow your your character to be an example to others. He he says, allow your, your example in speech and in conduct and in love and in faith and in purity to speak for you. So don't let people despise you. How do you do that? Have character that counts. And he did warn, Paul did warn Timothy to be careful. If you look at a chapter before that, 1 Timothy chapter 3, be careful about promoting someone who's a recent convert to be an elder because, he wrote, he must not be a recent convert or he They become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So so there is a real danger when a person steps into a leadership position that their heart can be filled with pride and they can fall into the condemnation of the devil. This is true of any leader, particularly saying here this is a temptation for those who are newly believers or those who are younger and so, so everyone who has some type of responsibility where you lead people, you have to be careful that your heart doesn't fall in the same way that the devil fell. And how did the devil fall when he was in glory and he was perfect and he was holy and he was in heaven and he had all this authority? How did he fall? His heart was puffed up in pride. And therefore, God kicked him out of heaven. And so we need to watch our... Our hearts, our souls lead with humility like Christ. Your character, listen to this, young people, your character is what counts. Your character is what's important. Timothy had an example. And you can look at the screen up here, Philippians 4, I'm sorry, Philippians 2. uh, Paul writes about Timothy, he says, I hope to... Send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. And I notice on verse, in verse 20 on the screen, for I have no one like him, that's Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So, what's the character of Timothy like? He's a person who truly loves people. Timothy's not in the position that Timothy's in so Timothy can get another, another step in life or so Timothy can exert some kind of power over people. He's in that position because he genuinely loves them. In fact, that's what Paul says. He says, he who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests. I mean, there's a lot of people in ministry out there and they're in it for their own interests. But he says, not Timothy. He says, but you know Timothy's, he has proven worth How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. If you want to know Timothy's character, observe how he humbly served the church and served alongside of the Apostle Paul. Philip Brooks said this, What the minister is, what the minister is far more important what the minister is, is far more important than what he's able to do. For what, he is, for, what he, for what he is, gives force to what he does. In the long run, ministry is what we are as much as what we do. I kind of slaughtered it a little bit, but the idea there is that ministry isn't just what you do. And a lot of times people think of it that way. It's like, here's your list of things you have to do. Ministry actually is who you are. And from who you are comes what you do. And so when we think about young people, what's important is we don't judge them based upon, oh, you're just a young person. Like, look at their character. And if they don't have the character, then help them form that, develop that within them. Let's go to one last passage. Go to Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 is really the the first time that Paul would have met Timothy, in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. Timothy would have been about 18 years old at this point. And again, that's an estimate. He could have been 16, 17, maybe 19, but let's, take, let's go with 18. Timothy grew up in the city of Lystra. So this is probably Paul's first interaction with him. I'm not going to go through this whole passage, but look at Acts 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And if you go on with the story, what you see is Paul heals him. And the result of that is that there's a riot. There's a riot from the pagans. There's a riot from the Jews. And so much so, they drag him outside the city and they stone the apostle Paul. He probably died. God God raised him up again. You see some type of miracle where he's able to actually walk back into the city. In fact, you can see that in verse 21. Verse 21, in the middle of the verse, they returned to Lystra, into Iconium, into Antioch. And what did he do when he came back to these cities? He strengthened the souls of the disciples. He encouraged them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, hey, this is what it's like before Christ comes back. There's going to be trials. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What I want you to see in that, you don't see Timothy's name yet, but what you see in that, you should see that Paul appointed elders in these towns, in these churches, in the cities. And one of those cities was Lystra, which means that Timothy would have been under one of those pastors there, one of those elder or those, I said, shouldn't say just one, but a group of elders there at those churches. So look down in uh, Acts 16, because this is where we first see Timothy's name. And this is where we recognize that he was from that area. And that was probably, therefore, the time when he came to know Christ as a Savior. Look at Acts 16, verse 1. Paul, the scripture says, came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy... The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So here's Timothy, and this is Paul's second missionary journey, and this is about two years later, and here Timothy is probably about 20 years old, and Paul comes through, he meets this young man, and Timothy is not a great candidate to come on a missionary journey. And you say, Pastor Ben, why would you say that? Well, notice in verse number one that he's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So he's in this mixed marriage where you have a a Greek, a Gentile, and a Jew. and, And evidently, his father had some influence over him because we find out later on that at this point, Timothy had not been circumcised. So he didn't go through the religious rituals that a child would have gone through. Likely his mother, and then we learn about his grandmother later on in the scripture, likely they were um, isolated and they were um, um, not included into the religious community. So, So Timothy would not have had the background that really would have set him up to go, hey, let's go out and let's preach the gospel to the Jews. Your dad's a Gentile. You're not even circumcised. Like These are things that would not be beneficial for Paul. So so why would Paul pick a guy who's 20 years old, who has this, this background that some might think even disqualify him from going into the ministry? Why would Paul pick him to go? Well, you can see the scripture says, verse number two, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul picked him because of his character. See, there's an old saying that says, your reputation is what people think you are, but your character is who you really are. Your character is who you really are. And these people, they heard of his reputation, but they knew of his character, and that was that he was a faithful one. And and you look at Timothy and you say, well, how did he know at this moment that he was ready to give up his life for the sake of the gospel? I mean, look at verse number three, Acts 16, three. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So he heard his character. He heard about him. He took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So why did why was Timothy circumcised? What well, was to remove any barrier for Timothy ministering to the uh, to the Jews? And so, I, what I want you to see from this is this: what the, the character of Timothy to go through something painful for the sake of the gospel. Timothy didn't have to do this to be saved, right? You're not saved by doing works. He did this as a way to sacrifice his own life for the sake of the gospel. And this is the character of Timothy here. And here's the problem we have, is a lot of times people look at their life and they say, well, God can't use me. I have this in my background. I didn't go to Bible college. I, you don't understand what my background's like. Obviously God can't use me because I'm broken, But here's the thing you're not realizing is that God uses broken people. God loves to redeem broken people and use broken people to proclaim his goodness. God uses broken people by restoring them with the gospel so they can reach other broken people and restore them with the gospel. That's actually how it works. That's, that's, the, that's how God's spiritual economy works. God uses broken soil to produce crops. God uses broken clouds to give rain. God uses broken grain to give bread. God uses broken bread to feed our stomachs and give us strength. God used the brokenness of Christ on the cross to die for our sins so that Christ could be our redeemer, so we could have salvation and eternal life. See, God actually loves to restore and to save those who are broken. You might be in here and you're without Christ and you feel the brokenness of your life. And can I just say to you that the scripture agrees with you? Yes, you are broken. The Bible says that those who are without Christ Every person born into this world is born with a sin nature. And therefore, every person is spiritually dead. Every person is spiritually lost. Every person is condemned because of their sin. Or you could say it like this. Every person is born broken. And the answer to restoration, to salvation, to forgiveness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that Jesus came as the one who is whole and the one who is holy. And he was broken for you. And he died on the cross, he rose again, he's in heaven, and his grace can extend to you. And he can save you, he can rescue you if you call upon him in faith. That's the gospel. And God loves to take people who are broken to save them, restore them, and then to send them to preach the gospel to broken people. And so what we see here in the scripture is that Timothy actually is the perfect candidate to go out and preach the gospel because Timothy has a background that is not one that people would typically pick, but God actually used that in a remarkable way to be able to reach people for Christ. And here's the thing, God can use you. No matter what your past or your present is, God loves to restore broken people. Amen. Well, We probably should conclude here. Let me just remind you, you know the story of Timothy, that it wasn't just Timothy and Paul. The seed of the gospel was planted a long time before Timothy was 18 years old. His mom taught him the scripture. His grandmother taught him the word. And oh, parents, can I just tell you how valuable it is for you to plant those seeds of faith in the hearts of your children. I mean, Eunice and Lois did not know what the future would hold for this little boy. Like, we don't know what the future is for our children. I mean, they didn't know that he was going to be this great missionary and a pastor. But what they did know is that God's word doesn't return void. And so they put the word in his heart. And he. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, from childhood, you've been equated with the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And so when Paul preached the gospel, Timothy heard it, it's like his soul came to life because he's like, that's what the scripture says. I agree. I believe. And God saved him. And so let's conclude by thinking about this. Church, how can we support the the next generation in gospel ministry? Number one, we can pray for them, right? Right? probably instead of complaining as we look at the news or see people walking down the road that are dressed really weird because they're decided that certain styles of clothes are in and we're like, why are they wearing that? You know? Maybe instead of being critical, maybe our eyes can look and say, God, will you, will you raise up young people that can go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. And I think we can encourage, disciple, how, how can we... Reach out to those who are younger in this church. How can we minister to them? And then this is for all of us, but particularly just saying to youth, youth, are you serving the Lord right now? Like, are you, are you in the gospel game? So when you watch the football game today, and you watch those guys running across the screen, okay, can you just ask yourself the question, are you in the game too? Are you still sitting on the sidelines? You're like, well, I'm ready to go in. Well, God's sending you right now, okay? Sign up, get in. Serve the Lord. Let's advance the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray for...